All right, good morning. How is everybody? That's good. It doesn't sound too good, so let me just ask one more time. How is everybody? Oh, that's better. That's better. It's good to see you. We're so glad to be back. We, we uh, had 22 in uh, Turkey studying uh, in the footsteps of Paul and the seven churches of Revelation over the past two weeks. And uh, so glad to be back and so glad to worship with you today. Just a good, good opportunity to be together. Thanks to all of you that are joining us online. Really grateful they've chosen to connect with us that way. Thanks for being here. Uh, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. We will be in Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, 24 to 28. And uh, while you're turning there... Uh, I want to introduce, some of you were here yesterday, and then some of you, this is going to be brand new for you, but we have been, uh, this weekend, we've had a great friend of mine in town, his name is Ronan, uh, Ben Moshe, his wife, uh, Sharon, and their son Itamar came from Israel to hang out with us, and so I thought that was pretty cool, uh, and we've, we've been focused on the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. And looking at how the Old Testament really plays into what we believe and focuses all of our attention on, uh, on Jesus. And so I wanted to bring Ronan today for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, this is the beginning of uh, what is a, a, a time in the Israeli culture, the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew calendar of 10 days of repentance, beginning with Rosh Hashanah to, to tonight, actually, and then going on for 10 days to Yom Kippur. And because of that, I think, I think God, from the very beginning, set it up so that we would understand the gift of repentance. And so what I want Ronan to do is come and talk to us a little bit from a Jewish perspective about what shuva is, that's the word for repentance, and how that plays out in the Jewish faith. And then I'm going to apply those roots to our Christian faith uh, in just a moment. So Ronan, I'm going to ask you to come and sit with me. I have a microphone here for you. It's dangerous to give Ronan a microphone, uh, but I'm going to give him one anyway. So thankful that you're here, brother. Thank you. you. Shalom, shalom. Um, how do we start with that word? Um, first of all, every time that we're starting to talk about something, we need to go to that word in Hebrew. So if I will have my, uh, my slide on. So the word is tshuva. One of the things that happened when we learn words in Hebrew, uh, there are some letters that you do not have in English, like and so on. But sometimes when you write something, it's uh, very difficult to people to say the first three letters, like ch. So that's the word tshuva. So what is tshuva? So if we move on, I would like you to learn Hebrew. So on our next slide, you will see how do we have... Uh, I know that you did not come for a Hebrew lesson, but I do want you to understand that we're very cheap with words in Hebrew. So one word has so many meanings. So the word tshuva is... To return, to do it again, to go back. The word answer is also an atonement from sin. And eventually, the topic of today, repentance. In many ways, it's very, it's very interesting. When you, want to, when you walk astray, you walk that way. And people say, no, no, you're wrong. You need to return back, to go back where you started. 
So when you turn back, when you go again, when you do it again, you have an answer. You are in the right place. So in many ways, this is how we explain the word tshuva. How that comes in our world. Let's move on for our next slide. I want to give you some examples from the Old Testament. Um, wow, those letters are too tiny for me. <laughs> oh my God. Much better. <laughs> if you, Israel, will return, then return to me. Okay? Declares the Lord. If you put your, that's the fault of my sight and no longer go astray. Or therefore turn to your God. So there are a few examples. Thank you. Wow. You want me to read it for you? Yeah. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> But then the thing is that there are many examples that when the Bible, when we read the Bible, when every time that the word is to return, to return away, to go back, to find the answer. In Hebrew, it's very simple. We just write tshuva, 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 tshuva. So what is the answer? What do we need to do? What do we, how do we go and return to the place where we started? By the way, sometimes people even have a speci specific place. Where is the beginning? Ah, maybe where Abram came to the land. Or maybe where they crossed the Jordan. Or maybe in Jerusalem itself. So sometimes it's about location. But sometimes it's how we started. What is the beginning of the faith? What did I do wrong in the last few days, weeks, months? And I need to return back to where I should start all over again. So when we talk about many examples in the Old Testament, so there's another slide with another two examples that I cannot read because of my... Uh, but let me give you uh, one of them. And it says, and if they have a change of heart in the land when they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. So we have so many examples in the text that talks about what do you need to do in order to return back and go on repentance. Let's move on with our understanding. So you can really see um, further on, I mean, we're not going to read the whole uh, scriptures. But let's understand that in ancient times, when people realize, okay, I did something wrong, how do you, how do you repent? And in some of the places you will find that the sacrifice in the temple was their way to find repentance. So it says in the book of Psalm that in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me open ear. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Or in Hosea, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burn offerings. So what, people did not understand what repentance is? Did they uh, follow an idea, oh, let's sacrifice, and that will be our forgiveness of sins. So in many ways, um, Hosea, a psalm, and many other they realize that the people of Israel are not doing the right thing. Definitely not the sacrifice in the temple. So in many ways, how do we find repentance if this is not the case? What are we doing wrong? So in the time of the temple, first, definitely the first temple, the whole idea of the sacrifice in the temple 
was not something that was chosen by God. I don't know. I don't think that there was a, a meaning to that. And that's why we can see that in those three verses. Let's continue further on. And you will find out that it's a little bit different after the destruction of the temple. People realize, well, something is wrong. We, we need to change our ways. So how the Judaism, of course, when we talk about Judaism in the last 4,000 years, first of all, in the beginning, they were not Jews. They were Hebrews, and then they were Israelites, and then they were Jews. But when we're talking about the journey that people did, every time that they had different ideas and different thoughts, um, we're talking about different ways to repent. But after the temple destruction, I'm talking about the second one, and there is no sacrifice in the temple. So how do you forgive your sins? How do you repent? People try to find something to change that, to change their ways. First of all, let's understand that we don't have a temple. So now it's synagogues. Okay? And if you've been to Israel, you understand that there were few synagogues in the world in first century. But in the second century, after the temple destruction, there were 300 synagogues. So... More than this, Jews were scattered around the world. Some of them even live here. And they, uh, instead of living in their land. So if, there is, if the connection to repentance was about Jordan River, Jerusalem, and so on, suddenly if you don't live in this land, how do you repent? Prayers and teaching instead of sacrifice. That became the focus. People are going and say, okay, now that was a sacrifice. Now we do not have that. So how do we repent? By reading the scriptures, by learning more, by go deeper to the text, by understanding what God asks us to do. So not necessarily to take a goat or a lamb and so on and sacrifice it in a temple. The whole thing that's not important anymore. But when we're talking about uh, change from temple to synagogues, it's also the rules of the, uh, or the rulers or the people that led the people. So if we had Abraham and then we have Moses and David and so on, we had kings. Later on, priesthood became a big deal in the same time of the second temple. We're talking about Sadducees usually when we talk, read the Bible. But after the temple destruction, rabbis became more important. Let's see what the rabbi is teaching. What the rabbi, how the rabbi lived. We should walk in his ideas, in his footsteps. Follow the rabbi was a big deal and not necessarily the priest that was in the temple. But about new writings, uh, people say, okay, let's understand, because some of the things were passed from generation to generation, from father to son, but now because people are scattered and they don't have anything, so let's write down rules. Let's write down understanding. So if we go to the second century by the Mishnah and the fifth century by the Talmud, there were Jewish scriptures that added to the Bible that we had before. But when we're talking about them, it's instead of passing out to my son and he's going to send it to his son, let's write it down so that we'll have a real book. The people will have that. In many ways, through those texts, people say, oh, we have another way for repentance, not just sacrifice. Um, new Memorial Days, one of them is about the Roman siege, one of them the day of destruction of the temple. Again, the focusing of scriptures is the most important thing. But instead of High, uh, instead of pilgrimage, there are three pilgrimage holidays in the Jewish culture. Pesach, 
what's known as Passover or Easter, um, Shavuot, that's known as Pentecost, and Sukkot, known as Tabernacle or Fest of Booths. And instead of going to a temple in Jerusalem that people used to do for hundreds of years or thousands of years, now it's uh, let's uh, celebrate, let's do holidays. And that leads us to what's going on on this uh, month, um, focusing on a month or uh, I would say 40 days of repentance. Um, that leads all of that to a new understanding of the term tshuva. Let's move on. And I would like to emphasize something else. There is uh, what we call actions of personal repentance. What this guy or that guy or this lady needs to do. So you can have all kinds of uh, options. Um, some of you probably will look at that and say, well, we, we do that all the time. So nothing special about the Jewish culture. But what they did is they divided the repentance from um, a personal thing to a national thing. What a Ronan needs to do and what the nation of Israel should do. What uh, George needs to do. Do we have a George here? Yeah. Or what the church should do. So anyway, there are the things that every person needs to do. Um, I like about that, the last one, it says, teaching others not to sin. Okay, so in many ways, we can be selfish and say, okay, I'm, I'm okay, but I don't care about the others. But in many ways, part of what you need to do is not just to repent by yourself and to return back to where you started, but you need to make sure if you see something that is wrong with others, you need to tell him, hey, you're wrong, or teach him not to sin. So that's, you need to be a little bit more with uh, what we call chutzpah, uh, passion to, you know, to, to tell people what to do with their life. And that's, that's something that Westerners are very difficult, have difficulties with that. But that's about personal repentance. Let's talk about national repentance. What do you do next? So, again, we have a special book. It's called Sidur, and those are for three days, uh, for three daily prayers. So, if you go to a temple or a synagogue, everybody has like a specific book, and there's like three times a day a specific prayer for that. That instead of the sacrifice in the temple. So, that's a nation. You can't just... In, in a Jewish synagogue, the idea is that you need to have 10 men praying together, at least. Okay? That's why Jewish people would never move to Alaska if they're not going to check if they have another nine male guys with them in over there. So the immigration of Jews were always with uh, communities. Let's make sure that I have people over there. You're not going to see me move to Bangladesh. Maybe. But the idea is that I will first of all check, do we, have, um, do we have people over there? Can I be associated with a group of people? But when you think about that, you, um, people would move now to a new country. You would try to find where is the church that I would be associated with. So the idea is that this would be important to pray in certain times with community. There's a word called Tisha Be'av in the Jewish calendar, in the Hebrew calendar. It's more or less uh, if we are now on the last day of Elul in the Hebrew calendar. So about 30, 21, 51 days ago, 
we had a memorial day for the destruction of the temple. And you would say, what is that with repentance? But if you feel like the Lord, he is in charge of the destruction of the temple. So it means that we were wrong. We did something wrong. And we need to repent for that. So part of the memorial day of Tisha B'Av is a national repentance. We, the whole nation, needs to repent in a specific memorial day that commemorate the destruction of the temple. Charity. That's, of course, something that we have still today in every place, in every religion, and so on. But the minute that you feel like, as a nation, uh, how do we give back to the church, give back to the community, give back to the nation, charity is, of course, one of the options for repentance. There is a term called tikkun olam. How many of you heard that term in your life? You can find a lot of people in, in the world today that focusing on this. That's what we call the, the fashion of Jewish people in the 20th, 21st century. How do we fix the world? Tikkun olam, to fix the world. What do you mean to fix the world? You know, I wake up in the morning, I said, okay, I wouldn't like to fix the world. I will make sure that there will be uh, no violence. I will make the environment better. I will make sure that the fresh air. But in many ways, tikkun olam is focusing in the beginning in your surrounding area. I will fix my life. I will fix my neighborhood. I will fix my town. I will fix my nation. I will fix the world. So we're talking about circles. So everybody wake up in the morning and say, well, I can do things for myself. That's the individual thing that we are doing, each one of us in the Western civilization. We, we live in a very individual world iPhone, iPad, I can do whatever I want when I need it and so on. But what about when we need to think, okay, I'll do something for the world. I'll make a better connection. I will, um, I will invent an app that will help kids. That's not just for me. That's, that's to fix the world. So there's a term, and you can say, what is that with repentance? But the minute you're doing something for the community for the world not for your selfish interests that's a little bit part of that repentance and the last thing is um, I know it sounds strange but um, people that repent and became more religious I would say or they have better they, they're valued more in the society so if you were a sinner and now you're back, back, remember, to return, people value you more than someone that grew up in a church all his life. So to give you that respect, that power. So that's, you can see that there's a personal actions and there are national actions for repentance. Let's move on for a little bit about to understand our time. So this is the time of the year it's called the time of repentance. So how, how the calendar works. So prior to Rosh Hashanah, by the way, Rosh Hashanah is celebrated from tonight. In, uh, well, right now in Israel, it's 6 o'clock in the evening. And it's almost uh, sunset. So now in most of the people in Israel, people will sit around the table and eat a few things. 
and bless few things. And then this is the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. But 30 days before that, they start with the term of Slichot. The word Slicha, how many of you have been on a tour to Israel? Raise your hand for a second. Sometimes I teach that word on the, on the bus and I said, Slicha means, excuse me, um, forgiveness. Uh, we do that after we push people and then we say, excuse me. Because Israelis need to sharpen their elbows when they are pushing people. So when we come to the word slicha, it's not excuse me, it's not forgiveness. It's a, kind of a petition for forgiveness. So people are for 30 days prior to Rosh Hashanah, go to synagogues, blow the shofar, have certain songs or petitions that part of that, part of the repentance. So repentance suddenly became a cycle of the calendar. Not something that you just do every day, not something for the nation, but in the calendar that you need to think about a month that this is what you do. Um, again, some people add even four days of fasting in those period of time. And the night before Rosh Hashanah, that was last night, by the way, okay, there's a special poetic prayer that includes, uh, again, forgiveness and binding and I love that uh, there are some of them. It says, we have sinned our rock. Forgive us, our creator. Um, there is what we call confession and petition. So people say, wow, we have so many things to do in that certain period of time in the Hebrew calendar. <coughs> Again, personal, national, and now as a community together. Rosh Hashanah, in many ways, it's a day of judgment. So you have 30 days to write petitions to the Lord. You blow the shofar that your prayers will be heard. And then you know that this is the day of judgment. Okay? In about 10 days from here, that will be Yom Kippur. That will be the day of atonement. And from here until the day of atonement, you have another chance, another 10 days of repentance. Now, the word repentance could be just, oh, let's sacrifice a goat and that's it. But in many ways, that was Old Testament period. Today, there's a different understanding of that term, and it became a part of the calendar. So every time a Rosh Hashanah, people need to think, okay, what do I need to do more for repentance? Look at the last one. I wanted to show you that in many ways, we are starting from tomorrow, 10 days of repentance. People even have that idea that the gates of heaven are open and the Lord is listening to our prayers. So if you did not pray in the very well three months ago, those are those days, a specific time of the year that the Lord is really listening. I know you say, well, they, he's listening all the time. But in many ways, this is just to emphasize what is your role when you're praying, when you repent. And Yom Kippur is a day of atonement, but in many ways, your judgment, the minute you are written in the book of life, you are entering the sukkah, the booth, the celebration. So it's almost, we, I always look at it in a time of like, um, like uh, you go to a court of law and then you need to ask what petitions, why you're innocent. And then come the judgment day and then you have another 10 days for ask more forgiveness from the judge over there. And then when you are free and you are written in the book of life, 
then you are in the house of the Lord. So in many ways, that period of time that starts, that started a month ago, and today Rosh Hashanah is in the center of that, that's part of a month of repentance. And we call those 10 days from today until Yom Kippur, 10 days of repentance. In Hebrew, it's called Aseret Yemei Tshuva, 10 days of repentance. So Tshuva is more than just a word, it's cycle of the Hebrew calendar. Everyone knows that in that period of time, that's what you need to do. In many ways, it's like um, giving gifts on Christmas. It's, everybody knows that this is what you need to do at that period of time. Thank you very much. Okay, wait before you go. You can, yeah, you can cry. <laughs> the thing I think that you need to repent of the most since we're sharpening our elbows, is your mediocre response to Bluebell ice cream. Oh, my God. That's not a good ice cream. <laughs> this, is, this is fine. This is okay. See? See? It's not a... People talked about it for years. You have to go to Texas. They will give you that ice cream. This guy and Angela, they brought that ice cream last night, and I had that, and it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing special. I don't know what you were doing. Okay. So, there will be a time of repentance at the oh, end of the... <clears throat> They will beat me on the way out? No, 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 no. It'll be fine. Ronan is uh, like family to me. We've had lots of experiences together. I'm really grateful that he got to share from a Jewish perspective what Shuva is. Always for me, when I hear uh, the Jewish people talk about Shuva, I'm reminded of two things. One is uh, God from the Old Testament, from Torah, wanted the people to remember sin is devastating. It's devastating. And that repentance is a gift. Sin is devastating. Repentance is a gift. Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 2, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So I want to read a passage of scripture. I'm going to get you to stand up with me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, 24 to 28. <clears throat> if you're a guest, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text, reading just to distinguish God's word from my own. Here's what the scripture says. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. You can be seated. The, also, the thing that I think about when I think about 
uh, repentance from an Old Testament perspective is how uh, meticulous it is and how complicated it is. And Ronan mentioned Yom Kippur, which will happen 10 days from now on the Israeli calendar. Yom Kippur in the Old Testament period was the day, one day a year, the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies in the temple. He had to do everything just right. He had to be the right person, the high priest. He had to wash correctly, had to eat correctly, had to be without sin when he walked in, he had to dress correctly, and he went in there to make atonement for the sins of people. And this had to happen with the shedding of blood, and it happened year after year after year after year after year until Jesus enters the picture. And when Jesus enters the picture, just as the writer of Hebrews tells us, we learn that Christ, Jesus himself, is the ultimate sacrifice, the recipient of our repentance, and the author of forgiveness. Now, I just want to walk through those things quickly today so that you understand this Hebrew foundation that we have for repentance actually paints a picture for us of who Jesus is and how we too can live a life of repentance and receive his forgiveness. Jesus is the final and best sacrifice. I want you to look at the, the, the words of the writer of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. That's talking about the holy of holies in the temple. It says these are copies of the true things. But into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So Jesus, unlike the high priest who offered, who offered sacrifice in the Holy of Holies year after year and had to do it repeatedly year after year, Jesus enters once and for all into heaven and makes mediation or sacrifice of himself by his own blood to God the Father and therefore makes a way for us to have access and forgiveness to God. Jesus is the final and best sacrifice. If, it, if you continue to read, uh, it tells us in, in verse uh, 24 to 26 again, if you, if you take a look at it, uh, verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This, as Christians, this is why we come to Jesus. One reason is the clear belief that Jesus is the final and best sacrifice. He is the atonement for our sins. Verse 27 to 28 teaches us that Jesus is the recipient of our repentance. Just like Ronan was talking about that we need to shuva, we need to acknowledge our sin, understand the devastating realities of that sin in our relationship with God and with other people. We need to acknowledge that sin and we need to turn away from it, but we don't have to turn to works. We have to turn to Jesus, according to the scriptures. He's the recipient of our repentance. Look at verse 27 says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So every one of us, according to the scripture, 
we die once. How many of you know that there is a one-to-one ratio of everyone in the room is going to die? Welcome to church. Happy Sunday. It's going to happen. Also, the scripture says one-to-one, 100% of the people in the room are sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have sinned, you have sinned, we all have sinned. There's no one exempt from that. You can take a look at your own life and you know that is true. Repentance is a gift that comes from the kindness of God. And the direction of that repentance is, you know, we acknowledge our sin. We say to to ourselves, this grieves the heart of God. This uh, is destructive to my life and to my relationships. And so I turn away from it. But I'm not relying on a high priest that will go in a building one time a year. Now I'm turning to Jesus who set it straight once and for all. I come to him because he died on a cross to save me from my sins, to make atonement for my sins. He entered the Holy of Holies, not the one that was on earth at, at, uh, at Mount Zion, but the one in heaven that Mount Zion is only a copy of, according to the scriptures. He made it right by his blood. And so I turn to him in my confession and my repentance and prayer and live a life of repentance. It's not a one day a year, I mean one time a year thing. It's good to have something in your rhythm to help you remember to repent. But repentance for us as followers of Jesus is a daily way of living. It's how we roll. And repentance is a gift. Can you imagine if God did not make a way for us to turn away from our sins and toward him? He did this through his son, Jesus. He is the author of our forgiveness. I don't know that I could sleep at night if I didn't know that God had forgiven me. Think about that for just a moment. For all of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've experienced and received the ultimate past, present, and future forgiveness of sin. God's at war with sin. We know this from Scripture. We see it from Old Testament to New Testament. The wages of that sin is death. But Jesus is the author of our forgiveness. So Hebrews chapter 9, 22, if you just backed up a little bit, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is exemplified for us in the sacrifices that were made year after year after year. But it's finalized in Christ on the cross. He said these words that I think are magnificent. As he hung on the cross, it says, John tells us that, that he was crucified. He was nailed to the cross at nine in the morning and, and he died at three in the afternoon. And this was the time of the blowing of the shofar, the morning and the evening sacrifices right during Passover. And as he's right outside the city, nailed to the cross, he hears that shofar blowing, that trumpet blowing, not far off. He suffers, and at three, he dies. And and the words that were given is, it is finished. And there's no more sacrifices. Because one sacrifice has been made for all. It doesn't matter Jew or Greek, slave or free. All can come to God through Jesus. Someone asked a great question yesterday. If all these things are in the the Old Testament, 
like Rosh Hashanah and 10 days of repentance and Yom Kippur. Why as Christians don't we celebrate these things? It's, I thought it was a really great question. You know, they were asking that same question in the book of Acts and they had a council called the Jerusalem Council and they said, you know, how much does a uh, a, a Roman like me, Amer- an American like you, or some Gentile, how Jewish do they have to be to follow Jesus? And the Jerusalem Council decided they should love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves. And they shouldn't eat food sac- sacrificed to idols, which was a big problem in the Roman culture at that time. And they, they should, should avoid sexual immorality. Everything else? Freedom. You can wear tassels if you want. You can celebrate Rosh Hashanah if you want. But you don't have to because we are free in Christ. He's entered the Holy of Holies once and for all. For all who would come. He would say this, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is finished. Now, what's our part in that? I mean, God has a part. Obviously, he sent his son, his only son, the one he loved, who died on a cross to save us from our sins, raised again, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming back again. But what is our part in this? How do we shuva? What do we do? Well, Rona gave you a, a long list of things that you, you could do. But the scripture is very clear and pretty simple. It says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear the simplicity of that and the power of it. If we confess our sins, this is John, the disciple of Jesus, who was also Jewish, writing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, what does it mean to confess sins? Well, let me just use something really practical. Maybe you make these tangible by writing them down. You actually go through the process in your mind of of asking God to reveal to you the, the sin in your life, because it's there. Asking him to show you, and you write these things down. And then simply confess them to him in prayer. I have sinned, oh God. I confess this to you, Lord Jesus. I bring it to the foot of your cross. Forgive me. And then the scripture says if you confess with your sins, he's faithful, he's just, he's always going to do his part to forgive you of those sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He is going to do the work of cleansing you. So you don't have to try to do that work yourself because you can't. You need Jesus to rescue you from your sins. But the, the part that we play is that confession, that we humble ourselves before him and we confess, here it is, here's my junk. I give it to you and I walk back toward you, Jesus. And he's going to be faithful to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We list it, maybe. We, we tell somebody else. See, that horrifies us as Christians. Maybe we tell somebody else. Do you know you can confess to a brother or confess to a sister your sins, not because they're going to be able to forgive you, but 
they're going to be able to help you walk to shuva away from that sin and walk back toward Jesus. A lot of times we want to say like, eh, it's enough for me just to confess this sin to God. And it is good and he's going to do his part. But he set you in community so that you could have other people to walk with in your sin struggle. Right? Sin is devastating. God is at war against it, with it, and he judges it. But the grace of it is when we turn to Jesus, he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's our part That's how we shuva. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? Saved from what? Well, if God is at war with sin, he will judge it. So we're saved from the wrath of God in Christ. We're saved from the judgment of God of sin that would come upon us if it weren't for Christ. We're saved to a restored relationship with God now. You don't even have to wait to die and go to heaven. That's one of the lies people believe is, I'm just going to have to die to be free of this bondage of sin, and when I go to heaven, it'll be great. You can have a right relationship, restored relationship with God right now in Christ, forgiven of your sin and walking closer to him. You just shuva, you confess, you repent, and you turn back to him, and you will be saved, saved from his wrath, saved from judgment, but saved to sonship, daughterhood, and inheritance that you can't imagine yet, according to the scripture, a goodness of a right relationship with him. Now, not later, now. To me, this is really, really, really good news, church. So in Abraham, in the Torah, we learn the need to repent. We see the rhythm of repentance. In Jesus, we see the recipient of our repentance and the final sacrifice and the really good news that he loves you, he gave himself for you, and if you place your faith in him, he saves you and makes you not at war with God. He's not trying to, he, he, he is changing your identity now in Christ to his son his daughter. And that's really good news to be right with God. Here's what I'd like you to do. Bow your head and close your eyes and simply ask God to speak to you in this moment. Ask him, is there anything, God, that you would like to reveal to me that I need to confess and repent of. If he brings those things to mind, then simply go to Jesus right now in prayer and confess that to him.
believe him, that as you authentically confess that to him and turn away from it, he's faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. Let go of shame and guilt, blame. He's faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're here today and repentance is a new concept to you and and you were just trying to live your life in such a way that if you could just do more good things than bad things, you'd be okay. And you've realized today, there's no way I can rescue myself from my own sin and the consequences of it. I simply need to turn to Jesus. Let him do the work. Then just pray to him right now and say, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I turn to you. I believe you died on a cross to save me from my sin. I believe you rose again from the dead. I believe you're coming back again. Make me new right now. Make me new. Save my soul. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. We love you and praise you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your your kindness to us to draw us to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.